Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast. Weekly insights into everything video. Proudly presented by worldpodcast.com. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everybody and welcome to the Pro Video Podcast. Every week we bring you insights into film, television, online video and so much more. This week, I'm really excited. Got Liam Clisham on the show, so we're going to be talking animation, motion design, creativity, freelancing, under-promising, over-delivering, 3D, redshift, tutorials. Oh, it's going to be jam-packed. So thank you so much, Liam, for coming on the show, mate. Oh, thank you, Blair. This is fantastic. It's been a long time coming. I've, I've um, been watching the content that you've been putting out. It's right on the cusp of what the whole industry is talking about with Redshift. It's like you're right in there as Redshift came out of beta for Cinema 4D and the tutorials that you're making are exceptional. How has it been for you basically becoming a Redshift Judas? <laughs> yeah, I, I know David Aria <laughs> likes to call me that. Um, <laughs> It's been fine. I, you know, I, I have this weird history with third-party renderers going all the way back to, I guess, two or three years ago with Octane and going freelance. And I was like, I have to get into Octane. Yep. And I loved it. But then I started getting into projects that were bigger and more complex, and I could never outsource it to a render farm or just like a legal render farm without breaking any contracts. Yep. Um, and so then I got into Arnold, and I really loved that because then I could work locally and it wasn't as fast as Octane, but it looked as good or as good as I wanted it to look. And then I could outsource it to a farm. And then I started hearing whisperings of Redshift and that the beta had come out for Cinema 4D. And at the time, I was also starting to mess around with Houdini a little bit. So um, the way Octane works is you get one license and it's for one program only, while Arnold and Redshift and um, most third-party renderers let you kind of hop between machines. So I was really looking for a GPU render system for Houdini as well. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to bite the bullet and get into it. And I loved it. And so 90% of my work I do through Redshift now. Sometimes I do it through Arnold. And maybe 10% I still do through Octane just because Octane has such a big presence out yeah. there. Um, but I, I know I've kind of taken on this title as Redshift Judas, but I'm kind of just ambiguous I, I go wherever i need to go and i work with whatever the client's requirements are so if they need something in octane i'll do it in octane i don't i don't want to pigeonhole myself into redshift even though i'm doing those tutorials and i'm learning it the most out of all of them um, that's, that, so i don't yeah. ever want somebody to think that about me but at the same time it's it's really awesome it's a great piece of software that's so interesting because i've been talking to my guys that i work with as well that we've entered this new stage where you just need to know the different renderers and then pick the yeah. right one for the right job or the right project because of the demands of that project. It's not about only having one choice and that's the only tool you use now. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like I've even played with cycles too. Like I've, I've really jumped around a lot. Um, and it's definitely helped me. Like I get faster each time I, I switch into a different en engine or feel like I need to learn something about another one because the the verbiage is pretty much the same at this point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's like little things that switch off between each render engine. Um, but if if you are talking to your guys or anyone that's listening to this and they feel like, oh, I, I just don't have the time to learn another engine. If you have gone from standard or physical into Octane or into Arnold, making your next leap is like infinitely times faster. I, I, I probably picked it up in a third of the time that it took me to learn Octane the first time. Yeah, it's uh, 
when I learnt 3D, it was um, this program called Electric Image, and that was in my first couple of years. And then I learnt Maya, Maya, potato, potato. Um, <laughs> but it was like I spent so much of my career in, in that program that I was really nervous about shifting to Cinema 4D. And I, I really put it off mm-hmm. and put it off. And in my head, I was just going, oh, it's going to be so hard. And then I just bit the bullet because for motion design, it was just an obvious choice. And I was so surprised that within a couple of hours, I f- it, was, it, it felt okay because I just had to find where and how that did it differently to Maya. And I think it's the same with the render engines. It's just understanding, because they all have similarities, but they might just um, use different wording or have a different have it in a different place for those particular buttons, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I've noticed that too, um, especially getting into like nodes with Houdini yeah. and hopping into Nuke or Fusion too, that it, it's at this weird point in the industry where everything's deviating but it's all coming together yeah. too just because the language is pretty much merging across all the software do you find that too that oh, it's totally like, there's there's all these choices but then at the same time all the choices are almost the same they're just doing different things yeah yeah it used to be i don't know about eight years ago i felt that i had because i was looking i was learning nuke and after effects or you know I'd always used after effects but the same with color grading and just the workflows, you had to make a decision of like what your project's workflow was going to be and know exactly where it was going to be because you couldn't pull it out and do it somewhere else. And now I feel like I don't feel as trapped. I feel pretty secure in that. Like I'm not going to dig myself into a corner that I can't get out of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that way too. Like my background, I, I started, out of college working for discovery communications here in the States and as a graphic designer, everyone right? there. Oh, sorry. You cut out for a second. As what? a graphic designer. Is that right? Uh, yeah, as a motion designer. So my background, I have a bachelor's in graphic design. Um, so if you know, like David Stanfield, how he kind of started in graphic design and doing print, that's kind of where I got my start. And then I haphazardly stumbled into a motion design course yeah. while I was getting my degree and fell in love with it. And I thought, man, why have, pictures on the wall that are going to come down after a few weeks and go in the trash when you can make things come to life. And I, I just love that. So after I graduated, even though I had a degree in graphic design, I knew I wanted to go into motion design. So I got hired as a junior at discovery channel. Um, and so talking about workflow they they were like an all avid system right. there, but I had been learning premiere and everything. And once I started sitting down with those editors and started learning a little bit of avid and what they were doing, I started realizing, Oh, I'm not so trapped in this ecosystem. Like it, everything speaks the same as long as you can like find that one translation between everything. Yep. Um, so kind of like octane and uh, like curves and um, like dirt shaders and things like that. You, you just got to find those little things that sync up and then you're fine. It, it, it isn't as hard as people make it out to be. Yeah. How long were you at discovery for? Um, I was there almost, almost a year. Um, so I have this like weird background of, I went to college and then I dropped out for like four years. I just liked going out with girls and partying too much (laughs) and realized it wasn't really the scene for me. And then I guess around 2008, when the economy started to turn here in the States Mm -hmm. and I guess internationally too, um, I decided I should probably go back to college and finish my degree. 
So then I went back and was freelancing and got married <laughs> during that time too and had kids. So um, it was like this whole like big four year span of life changes and finishing college and uh, all that. So I like, while I should have been a junior at a company back in like 2003, 2004, I didn't actually graduate from college until about 2014. Um, so I've always been, I, I should, shouldn't say always, but I've been a motion designer only since about 2012 when I started interning at places. Um, but before that I was, I've, I consider myself a designer since about 2000 two when i started getting into it in like my junior year of high school yeah i always say to people um i want to see the graphic design for motion design oh, yeah. because making it move you know it doesn't matter how you move it if it looks like crap <laughs> it really doesn't matter yeah yeah like uh, I, I went and saw coco this morning and um i noticed that with some of the trailers where it's just like I lost my attention about 10 seconds in just because like either the color grading was bad or like the design was off on one of the sequences. It's just like, okay, I'm going to just not pay attention to this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I feel like that's for everything now. If, if you don't have a good baseline of design, whether it's print or online or video or wherever, it, it's just going to fail. Yeah, and there's so many different disciplines within motion that we have mm. to educate and really think about and um, inject into our work. So color grading, you know, just color theory, such a massive topic on its own if you really dive into it. But I think that there's this layer of knowledge that will um, do you well in your career. Like you've just got to get that, mm. little, that first thick little layer of knowledge when it comes to color and working with it. And you can always deep dive, dive into it more. There's always more to learn. But um, applying that, because I've, I've talked to a lot of motion designers who are a bit fearful about doing color as, as, and saying that mm. I'm a colorist. And it's, well, you're not a colorist, but you can do color grading. There's a real difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the same thing with yeah. 3D, you know? It's like people are like, well, I'm not a 3D motion designer because I don't know how to model or texture or, you know, I'm like, but as a motion designer, you can just learn that layer of Cinema 4D just to get it done. We can bring a model mm. in, bring in some lights, throw some textures on it and get what you need out and then do your comping. I think, yeah, I just love for people to break that fear barrier. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, so I'm a big fan of the eighty twenty rule. Do you know what the eighty twenty rule is? Um, that the that you can get eighty percent of the way and twenty percent of the time, and the last twenty percent is the hardest eighty to do. That. Yeah, so I kind of do that with like faking it to like, <laughs> so like <laughs> nice, nice twenty like like twenty percent of what I do is just like completely asinine and faking it, and I have I really have no way to do it, but eighty percent of what comes out of that is always awesome yeah. and I'm glad I took it on. So it's kind of like 20% of what I do every day or like every project is definitely fearful and scary. Cool. But then the 80% of the work that comes out of that is just awesome. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad I took those steps. And I think every, like if everyone can think that way, like, all right, I've got this fear. If I can get past that, that's only going to be 20% of the project. Yeah. And the other 80% of the project is going to be awesome. And it may or may not be real worthy, but who really cares? You're still going to advance as a person and a designer or in your career. Um, so that I, I, I try to do that with every project. So if I can get 
fear into it or something new out of it, I feel like the rest of the project's going to be awesome. That's awesome. That's really good to think of it in those terms. Because I think with that approach, you're you're actually going to get further faster. Um, but yeah, because I kind of, it's so easy to procrastinate and not do something. So no, jump into it. Oh yeah. It. I, I mean, I, I totally procrastinate. I, I, I don't have like any standardization workflow most of the time, like unless I'm working on a project, but like for my own stuff, I will totally go on Tumblr or Pinterest for way too long and get sucked down a rabbit hole and think, man, I wish I, I was like this and the whole imposter syndrome thing. But then if I can get myself out of that hole, then I'm, I'm good to go. Um, so if I, if I can spend 20 or 30% of my week <laughs> in a hole and then 80 to or 70 to 80% making stuff, then, you know, I, I think I'm coming out ahead most of the time. Yeah, it's a pretty good ratio. I find that the yeah. easiest thing to kill procrastination is a deadline. <laughs> suddenly, oh yeah, suddenly you jump. I've, I've noticed that too. I, I've um, man, is it Alan Walker that has a podcast now? I just, I just came across it, and he he was doing something on um, like daily goals or like setting a daily goal that has. It, like an end goal in the long term. So you have like one end goal, but every day you have a goal that reaches towards that, even if it's just one thing. That way you're always making progress. Yeah. Um, so it's like you're giving yourself a deadline every day for just something really small, and then it adds up to this really big thing at the end. And so that's been helping me a lot lately. Oh, cool. It's, um, it's good to feel like you're actually chipping away and doing something. And it's hard when you're working on yeah. a big project to... Um, yeah, you need those little milestones to keep you motivated. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk to you about basically putting all this training content online. I, I feel like for okay. me, your exposures really um, ex- become a lot bigger in the recent couple of months. How have you felt that for yourself? Yeah, so I kind of, I've had like this apex of exposure lately. Um, like, I guess the tutorials have been really helping. I, I made a goal probably around like March of this year to go to at least five conferences and like make myself known. Yeah. Like not just in Twitter and all those social media places, but actually like put a face to my little avatar. Um so that's really helped. Um, I've been a TA for School of Motion for about a year now, and then I started. I've been be, uh, a contributing writer. Uh, excuse me, a contributing writer for about three months, maybe four months now, uh, writing articles for them. So that's helped. So really, in the past four to six months or so, it's like I was saying, it's been this apex of Redshift tutorials, getting really involved with articles on School of Motion. Um, getting really involved with MoChat on Twitter, which is like a, a chat every Tuesday night at nine Eastern standard time. Um, and so, yeah, it's just that there's definitely been a huge influx lately. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. And has it been, um, methodical on your part or is this just like, it feels to me that you just love being involved and doing it and putting it out there. And so, but was it really, um, a methodical, a planned way of getting some exposure because you said that you wanted to go to the conferences and connect and get your, you know, not just your name, but for people to who know you, who you are. 
And that was to get more um, work or to connect with others in the industry. What were the goals? Yeah, it, it was mostly it was the a combination of the first two of connect with others in the industry, but also get more work out of it. Yeah. Um, I feel, so I, I've been working with David Aryev on a project, and I've been talking with the ProGraph guys so much more, also because they're hosting a lot of the tutorials. Um, and other people that I've met at these conferences, because I've put a face to it, I feel like there's a new level of trust yeah. for getting work that, you know, if I had just emailed them out of the blue, there's a chance that they might trust me based on my reel. If I say, hey, I met you at Blend, or hey, I met you at Half Res in Chicago, um, there's a likelihood that they'll remember who I am. And if I've kept up with them on MoChat, or if I kept up with them in slack or or wherever then they're definitely going to remember me and they're definitely going to know oh i definitely had beers with him at one of these places and he's trustworthy and he was fun and the project's going to go smoothly well like i was saying if there's a real it's going to say i can do that work but it's definitely not going to be the same level of trust no um so yeah so yeah to to kind of answer your question i i never really do anything planned um i kind of just jump at things and hope for the best. Yeah. I know that's not a great idea, um, but it's worked out really well. And I think I just know how to pivot at the most appropriate times. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's really awesome. Do you think reflecting back on the last six months or even the last year that you can sort of see the outcomes of doing that? Like if, if, are there specific jobs that you're working yeah. on that wouldn't have happened otherwise? Yeah, um, I, I've i definitely gotten a lot more inquiries lately. They haven't all panned out. Just uh, I've, I've noticed that the more inquiries I've gotten because of doing this work and people will say, hey, I saw you on this. Do you want to help me do this projection mapping project? And then I'll send them a quote on it. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize it costs that much. Um, so there's like a catch-22 to it. Like I'm getting this exposure, exposure and I'm getting inquiries from it but with those inquiries it's maybe 10 or 20 percent of those actually work out and are in a decent living pricing range um where a lot of the other ones are just like oh i didn't realize it was going to cost this much i didn't realize that it was going to take this much time i really wanted it next week things like that that's pretty good though 10 to 20 percent of the inquiries turn yeah. into something like it, this whole industry is a bit of a numbers game isn't it and i suppose that those people probably won't be coming back with another inquiry so hopefully over time that ratio gets a little bit better and you know, when you do have a client base you, you can't have hundreds unless you're scaling up to be a studio anyway right so that sounds like yeah it, positive outcomes really yeah it i overall it's positive it when I think about it though, it kind of gets depressing as like a time sink of, man, I have to write up another proposal and yeah. is this actually going to go somewhere? Um, and I know that's the whole numbers game of the industry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, de- it's definitely like that balance of, man, this is great. Cause I can say I've increased revenue, maybe 10% from getting myself out there more, but at the same time, how much time have I lost bidding on these things that never actually came to fruition? Yeah. You know, is, um, just, do you think that there might be a way of basically um, cutting out the tire kickers, the ones that are you know just not going to be relevant, like presenting a bit of a rate card up front and say, oh, I'll do a proposal, but just so you know the ballpark? Yeah, 
I've definitely I've definitely started setting minimums for projects where before I would kind of just bid on every project and do like the the hot word of this year has been like value based pricing and all right what kind of value can I provide for this client and that client and keep doing these proposals and really I've gotten to a point of all right I need to at least make this much per project and I'm going to tell the client that up front if that doesn't scare them away then I can start to actually bid on it um I've been talking to Chris Doe here and there. I met him at Half Res, and I tend to give him crap on Twitter sometimes. <laughs> and sorry, Chris. <laughs> we, we've definitely kind of shoved each other around online a little bit, but he's a great person, yeah. um, and he definitely gives me advice whenever I ask for it. Um, so he definitely rolls with the punches. And he taught me recently to start bidding in chunks. So I've been doing, like, giant bids where – you know, we're going to have this milestone of scripts and storyboards and then another milestone of this, another milestone of that. And he said, don't even start doing the other bids until you've only bid on doing storyboards and scripting and made it through that. Cause then you know how the rest of the project's going to go. Cause a lot of times a client won't even know what they want script wise. Yeah. And so once you get through that point, what you bid on initially is going to be something completely different anyway. And you just kind of yeah. go down this waterfall effect of not delivering what you should have delivered to begin with, because you, you completely missed the mark in the very beginning. And by that point, the, um, the project's in full motion and it's really hard to get everybody to just step back and reevaluate, um, the scope creep that's just gone out of control. At, um, uh, Chris is a very smart man. Yeah, yeah, he's he's smart, but he's he's not like I wouldn't say that he's not cocky, but he's he's like cocky, humble too. Like he's smart, and he knows he's smart, and he knows how to wield that power. Yeah, does that make sense? Like, yeah, it does. He, I've, I've, he, I've, I've, yeah, yeah, he's like he's like totally harnessing it. Yeah, he's very aware of himself, very self aware. Yeah, um, but also he's aware of others, and as um, people with different um, personality types. I th- he's yeah, aware enough yeah. to know that if he presents himself in a certain way, there's going to be a lot of hate coming back. So. <laughs> but he also, it seems like he enjoys that too. Like he, <laughs> he wants to push it just enough to like bring get, the haters out and get the conversation going. Yeah. And then by the end of it, it seems like he has like this voodoo magic of getting everybody on board yeah. and showing them there's actually a new way that we can look at this. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, um, I've, I I was marketing this podcast a little bit, trying to figure out the best ways to do it. And I was putting it into some of the Facebook groups. <laughs> and one of the groups just wasn't appropriate. is for editors who mm. are just wanting to shoot the, you know, have a chat. Yeah. And they don't want to be marketed to. But, I, I you mm. know, I, I fully think that you have to make some mistakes for you to learn and grow and I learned that one but one of the guys was sort of had a bit of a reaction to it and there was a bit of hate coming out but then I like contacted him and I like apologized and said you know thank you for making me aware because you know I, I wouldn't have been and from that a conversation started and, and it became a real conversation so I was engaging someone that probably I would never have been able to if there wasn't that conflict and I think that Chris mm-hmm. is really good at sort of um, energizing that conflict and thought-provoking stuff. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, everybody can go look him up and look up his bricklayer conversation and other things that he's put out. Yeah. And you can 
just follow the trail of hate <laughs> that it's brought up. But then once you get through it, like if you can read between the lines and get through like the heart of the message, it's like, man, that that's really smart thinking. Yeah. So you're talking about how you're um, working with the School of Motion and the articles you're writing. Um, mm-hmm. There was quite a recent one, which was an honest look at freelancing as a motion designer. I feel that freelancers yeah. just become the thing um, over the last couple of years. Like it feels like the whole motion design industry has pivoted to wanting to be freelancers. And you sort of brought um, a real essence of truth and not just fully behind the bandwagon, even though you do enjoy being a freelancer. Do you want to share about that article specifically? Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess all in all, like when, when I got into it, I, I was just like on the cusp of talking new contracts with discovery and trying to figure out if I wanted to keep driving two hours each way. So like four hours a day to this job and figure out if what I was doing there was actually going to push me further. I just had a, a second kid not too long before that. And it was just kind of like priority setting. And so the hot thing was, all right, go freelance. You can make a lot more money doing it and you can control your time. And at the time I was like, Oh, more money. Like that, that seems to be the thing that people always grasp onto. Like, Oh, I can make a hundred thousand dollars this year, but people don't realize that's like a hundred thousand dollars in revenue. (laughs) It's not necessarily what you're going to pocket and bring home because you have to pay for cinema 4d licenses and render engines and things like that. Um, so that was, I I didn't really get into the numbers game so much, but more like a little bit of the psychology in the article of, all right, I got into it for this reason. And I was super happy about the choices I made, but after like three months or so, it started to hit me that, okay, I actually have to try it. This like, like people aren't going to call me. They're not going to come to me and just automatically want to hire me. I have to go find those people and I have to start treating it like a business. And really it's kind of treating it like, a mini studio. And I do that a lot of the time. Like it, it may just be me working on a project, but there's five to 10 people that I trust at any given time to hand off work to and work on storyboards on something that I would feel comfortable animating, but not designing, even though I have a design background. Like if it was this really illustrative character design. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it seems like, like you're saying this whole shift in the industry of going freelance seems so glorious and like this magical unicorn that's come along, but really it's just taking control of your life and then starting a business. Yeah. <laughs> like freelancer is just a label for a small business. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, um, it's interesting because I've worked at an agency for a long time now where I've been on staff, um, and in New Zealand, I feel like there's sort of a 50-50, whereas the perception from being over here of what's happening in the States and Europe is that the numbers are way more freelance-based. But it's it's like thinking back in time of a decade, like the big studios just don't seem to be around as much. They do seem to be smaller boutiques that would need more freelancers to scale up for a project and then not have to mm. have the overheads when those projects aren't there. Is it is it the kind of um, 
as a freelancer or for other freelancers in your area, what are the type of places that they're working for majority of the time or is it direct to client mostly? Oh, man. So my first year was mostly like agencies in the area or like come in-house and do something for a couple of months, like semi-permalance type gigs. Yeah. And my second year, as I like really got my confidence up and um, started to listen to things like Christo and talk to other people that have been in it a little bit longer and trying to find some mentorship, um, it's been a lot more direct to clients. So it's, it's definitely a, a mixed bag. And one of my goals next year is definitely to get more direct to client because yeah. I, I just really like getting in at a project when it's just germinating and there's a seed of maybe writing a script um, just because you, you can talk to everybody when it's fresh and it hasn't passed through three different groups of people from you know an exec to an ad agency to maybe a small studio that got outsourced by that ad agency that yeah that small agency brought you in to help on this one specific part, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I guess it's definitely a mixed bag depending on where you are here in the States. But for me, it was all agency work or like 90% agency work in the beginning. And this year has been about a 50, 50 split, maybe 60, 40 split. And do you think, um, there's a bit of a trend that started up as well with, uh, companies and brands having their own motion departments as well. Have you seen a bit of a, an mm. increase in that happening too? Yeah. Um, you know, surprisingly, the the companies that you hear about that are going a little bit more in-house um, are seem to also be hiring freelancers more. Does that – do you see that too? Like that that's what I'm noticing. Yeah, well, I suppose it's kind of um, – it's similar to what agencies were all doing where yeah. it used to be in the post facilities, um, you know, 10 mm-hmm. to 20 years ago. And then when you start your own thing up, you don't want to overcapitalize on it. So you might mm-hmm. have a small team that um, you'd, you'd really want a small team that can like do, you know, 50% of the work or even less in, in those very early years and still be outsourcing some work and bring freelancers in and get a gauge for it. There's a real understanding of like um, how much actual profit is to go into a project. And so yeah, or come out of it really and balancing those numbers of uh, full-time staff versus freelance versus external. Yeah. Yeah, something that I've noticed, at least where I am, I'm, I'm in Maryland, so... Um, I mean, we kind of have a small motion design industry, but I kind of probably also nail, name everybody in the area on two hands. That's, that is oh, actually really? a freelance motion designer. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't have that much, uh, I wouldn't say competition, but also like resources to, to bounce ideas off of. So yeah. if I hire people, they're usually remote. Um, like I have some people up in like the Massachusetts, Boston area, and then some people in California and just kind of floating all over the place because it's so limited in this area. Um, But the thing that I'm noticing in this area, while all these in-house agencies have started to switch, or at least for me to switch to direct to client, a lot of these direct to clients are first time video people too. Like, like as much as videos blowing up, there's so many people that still haven't done video, so they're not realizing what they're getting into. Yeah, a lot of education there on your part to yeah. help them understand what the process is. And um, 
and the in the in the, inf- the decisions that need to be made at the right times and the impacts of making not making a decision early on that can blow out the budget later yeah mm. yeah it's 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 what I've actually really enjoyed about being on the inside of an agency where I can talk really open honestly with the creators with the producers with the account service with everybody finance you know um I don't have to have this veil of um oh yeah yeah we'll make those changes and you come in the morning and it'll be all sweet and then you got five people working throughout the night you know we don't have that because we can discuss the impacts of decisions and over time we've everybody's come to understand the workflows and Mm -hmm. but I, I definitely know that like in the early years it took a lot of education because they hadn't had to be part of the process they just say oh do this and then turn up the next day to to review the changes and yeah and so when you're dealing with um, new clients who haven't got experience i could just imagine how much education go into it but also just dealing with things that you couldn't predict happening because of that yeah yeah it's it's crazy that like as as much video as people see every day it's still just magic to them. (laughs) Like they, they really have no concept of how many people are working on a film because nobody stays and sits through the credits and sees that it's 10 minutes long now for like Iron Man five or whatever's coming out, you know? Um, so when I tell them, yeah, I'm going to have to hire like eight other people to work on this with me. Like, Oh, you can't just do this on your own. Like not not in the timeline that you want. (laughs) Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's totally like, Apple veil magic. Like I want to press a button and yeah. it's done. Um, so yeah, I'm totally with you. Like I'm, I'm doing a ton of education lately with clients. Do you, do you sort of look at those as opportunities? If the expectations are just out of, you know, unrealistic to present possibly a complete new, um, brief to them and say, look, I know that you wanted this, but for the budget, the time, but we can still make it cool, but this is putting it in a new way. You know, instead of having full CGI, doing some mm-hmm. vector 2D animation, you know what I mean? Like really reframing so that you're sort of, you're upselling them on a lower budget, but more realistic outcome. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's kind of helped with what I was saying earlier about having this baseline of, all right, here's what my baseline is. Here's where you're at here's what I can offer at this baseline. Um, and that definitely seems to help get people back on board or, or rethink it. And sometimes it helps them out too, because sometimes my baseline is lower than what they had budgeted, but my initial quote was like twice as high as they budgeted, Yeah, you know? So then they end up coming back and hearing what I can give them at a baseline. And then they can go, to their executive or whoever and say, Hey, we can actually come in under this or we can use our budget and kind of find a happy medium. It may not be exactly what we thought we could get at that price, but we're definitely not scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. That's when such a big part of what we do comes, comes Mm -hmm. to the front, which is communication. You know, that's, that's, that's really the key to unlocking successful projects is good communication yeah 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 i i i've i've had that be probably one of the best selling points and referrals from other clients that i've done projects for cool. um i used to have a quote on my site from 
one project manager and about a third of her referral quote was just communicating with me was very easy and straightforward and made every process for the rest of the project easy and straightforward just because if you send an email that is two pages long but the whole thing can be condensed down into two sentences a client's going to much rather just read those two sentences and get through their day even if it's bad news yeah then have to deal with two pages of text and convoluted topics and things like that yeah yeah definitely um yeah try and not use the jargon put into uh context that they can understand make it mm-hmm. make it short and sweet but also give give options too it's something that I always yeah. really like to do if something's not going to happen and it's just not going to happen I really like to put forward a couple of options so that somebody yeah. doesn't feel trapped in a corner just like we don't want to as well yeah I, I do that when sending out bids now too oh, yeah. so I'll usually send out three just so they know where they can fall into different categories um, yeah but now that I've been thinking about breaking up projects into segments and bidding into different segments, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing that. I might, <laughs> I might just start with like, all right, let's start with script and storyboard and then we'll move forward from there. Yeah. Um, but I, I completely agree, especially when something has to change, then giving options like, okay, here's the bad news. Here are three ways we can combat it. Yeah. It's, it's really cool talking with you and I, I can hear that you're constantly just reevaluating how you work and how you structure projects and how you approach it and it's just like what we do in our careers. You're constantly learning and you have to keep reframing otherwise and growing otherwise, you know, if you're stagnant, you're dead really. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like what you were asking me in the beginning where I know I, I didn't plan most of this and like going freelance, I kind of just jumped into it because it seemed exciting i didn't have a bunch of money saved up going into it um i just keep doing that and you know if like you were saying if if you're not learning whether it's even just the craft of motion design or editing or anything in video um you gotta learn in business too and if you're not then you're dead you're right you're you're just your company's gonna fall off the radar and or you're not going to be um helping your clients the way that you should be yeah yeah it's no, some really great stuff in there to think about. I um, I totally agree with you too about, you know, for me, um, based in New Zealand, it's a small market, like you were saying with where you are. Um, the number of motion designers that are in Auckland and Wellington, you know, is probably a couple of dozen, but the ones that mm-hmm. are available for freelance is quite small. The ones that you, you know... You can get them in, they know everything, away they go laughing. But it's, <laughs> I, I, I basically a few years ago started Facebook groups and really trying to build them to try and have a, somewhere for, I, I was like, are there others out there too? <laughs> like, I'm like right. I wanted a home base that people might learn about over time and come and join and make themselves known because, you know, um, what you're talking about with a, with a, small facility at a company or an agency we do need constant freelancers available um you never know exactly when but if you're not in contact then when you do need them we're in real strife so yeah it's been good to build it that way but i found myself wanting to connect with a global community that felt really close but i was on the outside and so that's what mm-hmm. the podcast literally was for me. I wanted to be able to connect with people and have these conversations and get a perspective bigger than my own. Yeah. 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 And, and Joey 
Corman uh, from School of Motion talks about that too, and you've had him on the show. Yeah, um, that there there is like this huge demand for freelancers, and nobody can ever find them. Yeah, because everybody's schedule is always at different points. So um, that is one plus about jumping into freelancing is that there is a huge demand for freelancing. You just have to make sure you look at it like a business and show your worth to these people. Otherwise you can be a freelancer. You're just not going to get any jobs. Yeah. I'll caveat that, that um, you have to be decent or excellent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You still gotta, you still gotta get the skills and be capable. Um, I don't think the places are desperate. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. But I, I th- it's, it's not. It's not like crawling on the ground, bleeding, desperate. Yeah, but it's they're they're having trouble. Yeah, exactly. At the same time. Totally, totally. Yeah. Good, good, solid freelancers that you can trust. And to be honest, I'm, I'm also not saying that you have to be the most amazing talent that, like, you know, butt level. That's not true either. Yeah. As long as you, you got good, solid skills, you can do the job. Good communication again, always key. And just be a good person. <laughs> that makes more mm. difference than sometimes the work. Good communication, good person, delivers, does what they say they're going to. Yeah, it means a lot. Yeah, and it's like that thing I was saying with like my goal of going to five conferences. Like, I have met these people and I can show that I'm a good person and I yeah. can crack a joke sometimes while you sitting there behind a computer who's never met them they're like they're super gambling on you yeah. because they've never met you yeah oh you totally spot on man totally and now it's time for the pro video picks so Liam um, your pro video pick of the week mate what would that be um I would say so Kerry Smith who's also known as Division 5 oh, has yeah. been doing these series for a long time and he just put out his seventh chapter and it is phenomenal I, I watched it all in three days. Nice. I, 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 yeah, I, I loved it. Excellent pick. Everyone's been hanging out for this to come out last week. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that particular content with Division 5, you know, it's not like there's 100 titles in there. It's literally number seven. But it's just right. really different to everything else that you find on the internet when it comes to um, education, really. Yeah, I think I think this most recent one, and maybe he did it with the last chapter too. But he's been calling it a masterclass, and it it is definitely a masterclass. And not to give too much away, but he like he even goes into his failings of one of the projects, and you don't get that. Like most of the time in a tutorial or a course that you take online, it's just how do you do this? Yeah. How do you take this to the next level? How do you take it to the next level? But for me, in my experience, I learned the most from my own failings and then seeing other people talk about their shortcomings and yeah. what they failed at, just it it feels so much more personalized so you can own that knowledge so much deeper. Yeah, no, really good point. I've tried to sort of have those conversations on these shows as well because that is just the process and it's not failing, it's creative development, you know? Um, and right. it's, it's what you do with that experience where you, what you take out of it, how you grow from it. That's really the key importance, but yeah, awesome pick, man. Mm. Mine's going to be one password. So, um, there's lots of other ones out there, but one password is the, um, password manager I've been using for a long time. Um, mm. the reason I, 
do this is I can never remember serials and logins and you, you want to be safe and secure so I use that to like basically have all the serial numbers for Cinema 4D and um, Redshift etc as well as all my own personal passwords for all the different sites and it's, it's really easy because you can have it as a browser extension so it can generate passwords really quickly for you and then fill out the document and save it so highly yeah. recommend that yeah, I, uh, I, I've been using 1Password since it was a Mac-only product. Um, yeah, me too, so, man. <laughs> yeah. Man, I, I, so I had, I had my C drive go down about a, about a month ago. Yeah, and that sucks. 1Password, just loading 1Password up and having all your serials uh, right yeah. there when you have to reinstall everything, yeah. it's so awesome. I, I, I could not recommend that anymore. Yeah, it, totally. It's, it's a must. Yeah. Yeah. Because mine syncs up with Dropbox. So the first thing you do is download and install Dropbox, get your one password, and then you can rebuild from there really quick. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Also, I keep it for my um, my parents and my wife and my in-laws, oh, yeah. all their passwords. So I'll have my mother-in-law ring me up and it's like, oh, I can, um, iTunes, all the app stores asking me for a password. What is it? <laughs> Give me a sec. I'll have a look and... I'll, yeah. I'll flick it through to you in an email. <laughs> so, and it will, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's good to sort of get yourself organized. So, inspirational video. What would be your inspirational video? Um, so I don't really have one inspirational video, but I I have like a list of people that I kind of want to give shout outs to. Cool. Is that okay. Yeah, man. For sure. Okay. Well, yeah, because I I'm I see so many videos that they start to blend together, but I, I've been very conscious about writing people's names down that inspire me or studios. That's awesome. Um, so yeah. So one is Mark Fancher. And if you listen to the Brograph podcast, he's known as Houdini Mark. Um, he was a student of mine when I was, or when I've been teaching uh, school of motion design bootcamp. And I found out that he knows Houdini and hence Houdini Mark. And he's kind of been my teaching assistant as I've been learning Houdini and he's just been churning out work lately. That's been really awesome. Um, so he's kind of like this unknown that I really have been trying to get in front of more people because he just has a quality that you can't really find out of most people, especially knowing Houdini. Um, another studio that or another few studios that have really been impressing me lately are already been chewed. They're out of Texas. Um, man versus machine. A lot of people know them, but they've been a huge, uh, influence on me lately um access Bonza, which is Antagma. if you've ever seen them on um vimeo for doing houdini tutorials that's their actual studio uh odd fellows for 2d work they they always just kill it and then um david Aryev, who was just on the show a few weeks back he's always an inspiration for me even though we're friends and i do work with him he just he's got this quality about him that always inspires me nice Nice. Such a good list. I'm going to share for my inspirational video, um, Sinshut out of uh, Germany, a recent piece of work from them, which is uh, ENBW Stoff, German, I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I'll, I'll have to check them out. I haven't heard of them. Uh, it's, well, this is... this. Uh, Sensute do amazing design work and my friend Adrian Lawrence who was on the show early he worked there when he was in Germany for a bit Um, but this video is a funny CGI animation um, film and it's for a green energy company and we'll have the link to this and all the other links on this episode 
and also on our website. So check out these videos and the links to all these people and what what we've been talking about today. But this particular video is really quite funny. It's got um, a wire and two birds, an owl and uh, another bird sitting on the wire. And then they get buzzed and then they're like basically high. And then <laughs> this pigeon comes along and it gets high as well off it. And then the squirrel's running along another one. The pigeon's hallucinating that the squirrel's a cat. And then the squirrel jumps on the wire and gets buzzed as well. And it's high. And then suddenly it's like thinks that it can fly. And then, yeah, it's really funny, really funny. Well done. And it's like photorealistic um, uh, creature design. But there's some swearing in it. And this is for a green energy company. I just thought it's quite quite cool that advertising is just taking this bizarre kind of, I don't know, uh, humor that basic resonated well with me anyway. So check that out. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. I love seeing European advertisements because they always are so much stronger than the United States will ever go. Yeah. It's kind of like watching Japanese, um, reality shows. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, yeah. I saw one last week. What was it? And it was like, um, you had, they had to climb all these ice steps and like it's hard ice that's been chiseled and they're, they're trying to race against each other and they get like halfway up and then slide down and wipe out the others and it's just like oh my god that must be so painful but yeah oh. that's the TV show <laughs> yeah yeah um, so who are you following who would you like to shout out for that mate um, so uh, besides everyone that I already listed uh, i would like to shout out Ryan Summers. Do you know who Ryan Summers yeah, is? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, man. So he he just always has really good insight into what's going on in the industry. And, you know, you don't have to even engage with him. Just follow along and see what he's retweeting and uh, what he's into. And he does brackets instead of hashtags for things. So if he's categorizing something, he'll put it in animation or he'll do brackets with motion design inside of it. Um and that I would say 90% of what he tweets is just influential and will make you think or will inspire you in some way. Um, I guess Motion Mondays from School of Motion, even though I contribute there, they have an email list that goes out every Monday that is just packed full of content, and it's always awesome. Um, as much as Grayscale Gorilla does great tutorials their podcast for me has been so awesome this year like yeah. ever since chad started joining the team and being on the po podcast i feel like they've completely reached a, a new level um especially all the business talk that they do lately has been really awesome um so those are like the the main three that are on my list awesome that's really good list and yeah i've i've listened to the um grayscale gorilla um in the second phase, because there was that time that um, when Nick first did it, the first, I don't mm -hmm. know, 30 or so episodes where it was just him, um, and now yeah. with all three of them, there's some really great topics that come up every week, So, and they've been solid this year putting that out. Yeah. Okay, so for, who am I following? Well, on the Pro Video Slack group, there'll be a link on this show. I'm going to shout out the latest members who have joined. Uh, Tom Heathrow, so good to meet you last 
a few weeks ago, bro, in at Node in Melbourne, and like you were saying, Liam, about going to conferences. Bit harder here in Australasia, but Node is you know it's it's now our calendar event for motion design. There's no excuse to mm. not get in there and meet people. And I got to meet Tom and Manish. Thank you so much for joining the Slack group, man. Um, I'm going to meet up with him on Wednesday and see if I can help him out. Um, he's a graduate and he's just looking for some advice. And so he joined the Slack group on Friday. And Friday night, I gave him a call and had a chat with him. So it's literally that easy to get in touch with me if you join the Slack group and reach out. And, and finally, Darius, thank you for joining the Slack group. And thank you, Liam, for joining the Slack group. It's so good to have you in there, man. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. And yeah, thanks for inviting me into the Node Slack too. Um, there's like Australian, New Zealand hero Rich Nosworthy's in there. So that's kind of awesome that I can have my little um, fanboy moment <laughs> in there too. <laughs> I, he'd, he'd love to hear that. I'm catching up with him next week for, for lunch. So I'll pass that on. Oh yeah, man. I think either you were telling me or somebody had mentioned that he gave a talk on Redshift. And the last I heard, he was Octane. I was like, oh man, he gave a talk on Redshift, and I I got like little girl goosebumps <laughs> over it. <laughs> yeah, well, he's been using it for a long time, um, and he's yeah, and he's always showing me. Well, it was in beta, and showing me some renders and stuff in the times, and just exceptionally exceptional work. Um, but yeah, his Node presentation was on Redshift and materials, and uh, it was more of a real taster to get people into it, knowing that it's not too mm-hmm. hard, um, showing how you can set up some um, layered materials. And interestingly enough, um, Chad um, basically came out with something a bit similar, but um, I s- said to Rich, you were definitely first. I was eyewitness. <laughs> but it, it feels like in Redshift land, there's all this similar kind of content coming out. But that's what's so good about it is, you know, now that's out of beta and people can release all this information, it's just building and building. So jump in yeah. there and learn it. Yeah. And the, um, the team is so fast to iterate things mm. that as we're making tutorials, I, I will have like three versions come out in the time that I put out a tutorial. I'm like, oh man, I could have done a tutorial on this this week or this or this, or yeah. they just fixed this. So I can finally talk about that. Um, that, that's one of the best things that I really like about Redshift and in comparison to coming off octane is you really get to talk with the team and see them making these fixes. Yeah. I'm going to put the links to your Redshift tutorials on the show notes and um, I wanted to sort of point out one in particular which was the um, redshift with X particles that you did um, okay yeah thanks <laughs> no that's it's so awesome because one of my uh, one of the team Will Brown he watched that and then he went and um, made his own X particles so I'll get him to share that with you in the Slack group as well because it turned okay. out really sweet and I think um, what you were doing was really encouraging him as well yeah, it, you know, that was, I think, my shortest tutorial, but also, like, one of the most requested ones because people just got overwhelmed with it because of how big an X-Particle system can be yeah. and then having to use a new render engine. Um, so, yeah, if anyone is interested in learning Redshift and X-Particles, I think it's a 10- or 15-minute tutorial, and it's really, it's really, like, three clicks of a button just to get you started. And that's what you need. Just uh, get yeah. over that procrastination hurdle and get into it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where can we follow you, Liam, online? 
Um, really, the the easiest way to search for me is my name, which is Liam, and then Clisham, C L I S H A M. Um, I also go under five thirty one. Um, depending on the social media account, it either has an underscore or a hyphen in there at some point because I was a little late to register it. So um, you can just do a search on Google for five thirty one, and you will find me. Awesome, and we'll have those links as I said. On this show, if your favorite podcatcher shows you the show notes, it'll be there. Or you can visit the website. Easy to find the show notes there as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Blair Walker. You can also follow me on Instagram at Blair Walker. Keep it nice and easy. And you can follow all the normal social medias, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, etc. Pro Video Podcast. Love you to join the Slack group as well. We've got an easy click invite for you to sign up to and please enjoy this show enjoy other shows share them out that would be so amazing for me and join the slack groups reach out to me and let's start chatting and maybe you would like to be on the show i'd love to have you so let's start chatting liam thank you so much mate for being on the show it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on man oh yeah blair thank you thank you for inviting me and um letting me talk to your audience um i'm just like so grateful that this community is so giving and passionate and it feels genuinely um how do i say almost tribal it doesn't you know the distance doesn't really equate when we're talking about motion and we're all chatting online anymore yeah yeah it's uh it's very easy to connect with people now and like you were saying i i don't ever feel like i'm working alone even though i'm always working alone does that make sense (laughs) it totally makes sense to me man because it yeah. was such a different ecosystem for me 10 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. I was literally alone. I didn't even know who was out there doing my role in the local industry, let alone the global industry. <laughs> and now right. there's no reason to be isolated. It's just to put a bit of effort and connect and start chatting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, thank you so much. And thank you guys for, and girls for listening. Really appreciate thank- you coming and listening. Sorry, did you want to say something, Liam? Oh, I was just going to say thank you again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, bro. Nah, um, yeah. I'm going to have to hit um, you and the BroGraph boys. I've, I've, I'm planning to have you guys on a few times. So I look forward to sort of planning what we might be able to do next one because I do um, interview style podcasts like this, but I also really like to do topical ones too. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to figure out um, a topical one in the future to get everyone back on to the Pro Video Podcast. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd love to. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Liam. And thank you, everybody. Thank every for a podcaster. I can't really speak. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for <laughs> listening. Catch you next time. Bye. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Pro Video Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes.